another episode of mixed nuts how are you doing harry i'm doing pretty good i uh, just came off of a nice break uh, had some time to relax but now you know back on the grind with <laughs> finals coming up back on the grind how are the apple orchards harry beautiful actually had some fresh apples yeah i, I missed saw it, it i saw it in your story i was like wow beautiful <laughs> <laughs> first thing i did was get a jug of apple cider oh that sounds amazing well i'm glad that you had your apples that sounds good it's been a while since we've produced a podcast. Mm. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. But we have returned for a very special occasion. So at Stony Brook University, the, pl- the, the place, the school that we both attend, I'm taking this writing class where I was assigned a research project that I am supposed to present in an alternative format to a regular essay. Mm. That's yeah. very interesting. I mean, podcasts are the best in general they are they truly are it's like tv shows without the visual 10 out of 10 yeah there we go there we go and so of course i thought a podcast with the one and only harry would be a fun idea so uh what we'll be learning today all right so i'm going to be telling you a little bit about a topic that's in the mental health realm Mm. which we love you Mm -hmm. know to explore oh yeah there we go which is therapeutic writing Woohoo. I'll be getting into what it is, its benefits on reducing anxiety and depressive symptoms, and my main focus, which is whether these benefits are still present when typing on a computer or a phone instead of writing on paper. Mm. Yeah, so I know that seems very random, but I promise you it'll make sense as I explain further. So if you are a busy college student like us who experiences anxiety or depressive symptoms also like us Mm -hmm. and are looking forward to finding a more effective way to keep yourself afloat and healthy in this crazy world of ours just keep on listening because adopting these practices that we're about to discuss has completely changed my life i've been really excited to share the information i found and i just really hope that people can take something from this so yeah on that note let's hop in Welcome back. Anastasia, you mentioned that we're talking about uh, therapeutic writing. Mm -hmm. I, like the rest of our listeners, uh, don't really know what that kind of is. So, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, of course. So to give you a very broad definition, therapeutic writing is, it's really like exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) So according to Wikipedia, you know, a trusted source, it's a, to quote from them, form of expressive therapy that uses the act of writing and processing the written word as therapy. It's still, it, that doesn't make sense. Like, that's a stupid sentence. Like, it just sounds really dumb. I, it, it is pretty broad, too, because I feel like uh, if the act of writing and typing and stuff, then I feel like a lot of times any writing or typing feels therapeutic. Yeah, so that's why it can take many different forms it's, since it's be, that's broad of a definition. And some have been studied more than others. So, for instance, there's interactive journaling, which I've mainly focused on in my research. There's also expressive writing, uh, bibliotherapy, Mm. positive affect journaling, and many more. And I'll get into a bunch of these things later on. But because of this range, many people have likely tried it on their own without even knowing that they were kind of completing a type of therapeutic intervention. So... Basically, yeah, like you said, like keeping a diary, a journal, and whatnot, you pretty much fall into this category. But Mm. anyway, based on 
what I've learned about in some of my psych classes here at Stony, all types of therapeutic writing, uh, specifically interactive journaling and expressive writing, have shown benefits for different psychiatric and physical disorders, overall health, relationship problems, and so forth, at least to some degree, which is really cool. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, relationship problems, you know. Probably need that after the date I just had. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I still can't believe she had a boyfriend the whole time. Yeah, that's rough, just tea. Yeah, that's tea for a different episode. It's tea for a different episode. Or maybe tune into our regular show. Oh, exactly. WSB Stony Rick. Anyway, so, <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of different forms. There's interactive journaling, which I've studied in the most depth. It's a structured combination of self-help materials, guided prompts and exercises, and specific spaces for a person to write down their response. It's been shown to provoke behavior change among substance-dependent prison inmates and college students. An interesting (laughs) sample. Mm. And it's a combination of expressive writing, which is when a person writes down their deepest thoughts and feelings Mm. concerning stressful or traumatic experiences for around 20 to 30 minute intervals over the course of three or more sessions. And bibliotherapy, which is when a person is provided with self-help materials about the psychiatric problems they're struggling with and are encouraged to refer to it to inform them about identifying symptoms, avoiding triggers, and other healthy coping mechanisms. Interesting. Yeah. And in people with PTSD, or for those who don't know, post-traumatic stress disorder, expressive writing therapy has been shown to decrease PTSD symptoms, improve dysphoric mood, and decrease their physiological response to traumatic memories like heart rate or your blood pressure uh, when triggered by some type of stimulus. And in addition to that, bibliotherapy has been documented to reduce depressive and anxiety symptoms, substance abuse issues, and sexual dysfunction, as well as improve behavioral health outcomes. Yeah, so uh, how does this? How can this help, like you know, students here at Stony Brook? Yeah, so obviously the rate of anxiety and depressive symptoms experienced by students, and not to mention the public overall, have been skyrocketing, yeah. especially after the pandemic, as you can you know presume. And to make things worse, of course, because things oh, always course. get worse, the percentage of people that actually receive treatment for their psychiatric problems is like abysmal. Hmm. Even though people know that these problems exist, they don't really, at least most of the time, they don't really get the severity of these issues and their influence on individual and global well-being, you know, because of culture, belief systems that aren't really accepting of mental health problems. And the problem with that is that these problems aren't going away. They're getting worse. Like I mentioned before, rates of mental health problems have been even further exacerbated because of the social isolation and, you know, losses in general experienced Mm -hmm during the pandemic. For instance, there is this one stat from the CDC from August 2020 to February 2021. The percentage of adults with recent symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder increased from 36.4% to 41.5%. So having a 36.4% prevalence rate should already warrant attention, but guess how many people that is approximately? See, this is gonna be a shot in the dark, but I'm saying uh, between seven and a billion. That you got it. Thank you. <laughs> wow, everyone. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, he's really a genius. Yeah, thank oh, you. God. Thank okay, you. so that's the end of our <laughs> that's the end of our show. Thank you for listening. <laughs> but no, like for real, nearly hundred twenty million people. <laughs> and in addition to that, the percentage of those reporting an unmet mental health care need increased from nine point two to eleven point seven percent. 
meaning that at least 40 million people aren't receiving help for their mental health issues. And the reason that I'm saying at least is because these statistics were recorded through a census. There were people who weren't able to or didn't want to respond to them or didn't realize that they had mental health problems and so on and so forth. It's just, it's everything's getting worse and it sucks because there are so many actions that people can take to improve these problems. And yeah, so that's why we need to push some of these interventions and kind of let people know about that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, a great thing to do is let people know on our podcast. (laughs) It's step one, baby. Step one. Step one, baby. Thousand March, thousand mile March or journey. Thousand March. Thousand March, (laughs) then April. Then April. (laughs) I'm dead, but... (laughs) But no, really, it's clear that we just need more scalable and accessible mental health resources. And although it would be ideal, we obviously can't cure everyone, but there are some interventions that we can implement to help reduce these numbers and people's symptom severity, which is important for functioning and so on and so forth. And that's where therapeutic writing comes into play. So Anastasia, tell us a little bit about how you got into this research on therapeutic journaling and why it's important for students to know about it. All right. So if you've been listening to Mix Nuts, mm. whether on Spotify or WSP 90.1 FM Heck every yeah. Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, <laughs> um, you've probably heard me talk about my struggles with obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. Although I was attending 45-minute therapy sessions weekly and later went on antidepressants for my physiological side effects that would persist, I still found myself most weeks counting the seconds until my next therapy session. And as much as I love my therapist, she's a fantastic woman, as well as my psychiatrist, she's also fantastic, and I improved substantially, I still needed additional coping mechanisms to help me deal with anxiety caused by intrusive thoughts. And for those who don't know, Intrusive thoughts are unwanted thoughts, images, impulses, or urges that can occur spontaneously or that can be cued by external or internal stimuli. And they tend to be untrue or not based in reality. And most of us do experience these intrusive thoughts, but people with anxiety disorders are, it's a little bit more difficult for them to, I should say for us, to um, <laughs> regulate their emotions properly yeah. and respond in an effective way. Yeah, um, probably higher rates too of these intrusive thoughts because like I've had intrusive mm-hmm. thoughts. Like, I don't know if I don't get invited to something when I look at other people there, I'm like, they hate me and then yeah. I'll get the invite like an hour later. And you're like, oh. No, they don't hate <laughs> me. Yeah, or like, yeah, stuff like, like, this is the end. Like, I gotta, I think I failed this exam and it's over and I, I need to drop out and, and I, I can't do it, but but it's it's less less common and i'm usually able to you know figure it out exactly it's also that a lot of people who don't have these types of problems aren't as influenced by it that you wouldn't be like even if you do have a a thought of like oh uh, i think i failed this test you're a horrible person you're gonna die tomorrow like whatever you're like oh that's just stupid you know logic says this that and the other thing but that's not often the case when you have these disorders your anxiety just gets so overwhelming to the point where you can't function like for i know for myself like i couldn't pay attention in school i would just have panic attacks all the time it was just it it was awful Mm -hmm. you know but gratefully from studying psych in college and using questions my therapist would ask me to debunk my anxious thinking i knew that there were a couple of key questions i could ask myself that would help me to differentiate an intrusive thought from a legit problem Mm. Especially since there tended to be trends in my anxious thinking. So, I ended up writing a few of these questions down to help guide me through identifying what exactly it was that I was feeling in that exact moment. 
whether the thought was based on something that actually happened, hypotheticals, unknowns about the future and whatnot, and limiting my responses to one page to prevent myself from ruminating or thinking continuously about the same thoughts. Kind of like when you spiral. Mm. My friend told me that actually one time. She ended up writing, if she was journaling or something, she'd put it on a post-it card because she know a post-it card. Oh my God, an index card. Mm, I love index cards. <laughs> but anyway... So I ended up bringing a mini notebook and pen with me whenever I went out, everywhere I was going, and I made a point to answer my set of questions whenever I felt anxious. And I mean, I did this to the best of my ability, no matter what I was doing, how much work I had, how tired I was, I just answered the questions and continued with that. And it really helped me. Like Training myself to identify the root of my anxiety helped ground me and help me control my response to these feelings, which I've grown to be quite good at. And I'm really proud of myself for, you know, the progress I made. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, if it's helped you, definitely could help a ton of other people. Exactly. Exactly. And you've seen how you've seen the (laughs) the progression, (laughs) the progression. Oh God. Like fall of 2020, Harry was not a big fan of me. Harry was also going through some stuff. Yeah. Harry was in quarantine for most of the fall of 2020. Three separate times. It's ridiculous. Even after vaccine. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Tough time for everybody. It was. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I'm saying all these things like it's easy. It's not. It's it's very hard. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of diligence. And listen, I mess up every now and then. I mess up a lot. (laughs) And I regress. But everyone does that. And overall, on average, I've reduced the amount of panic episodes that I would experience significantly. And I want people to experience this too. And I think that therapeutic writing has that potential to accomplish this and help those who don't have the time or resources for therapy or deterred by the social stigma of mental health issues. Mm. Ideally, it would be helpful to develop an app Mm. that provides guided prompts alongside self-help materials to allow people to identify their anxious thoughts, sit with them, and validate their emotions in a concise way. Ooh, an app definitely would be useful for that. Like, I feel like everybody's always on their phone anyway. So you pop into the app for a little bit, you know, you write something a little bit before bed, maybe in the morning when you wake up. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I originally wanted to choose the app design over kind of like, I don't know if you've seen ads for them, those anti-anxiety journals. Yeah, I've seen those, but I, you know, I, I feel like I bought a journal like that once and I just never used it because I'm never in my room at the perfect time. Yeah. You know? And they're just expensive. How expensive are we talking? Like 30 bucks, 20 bucks? 40. $40. Yeah, $40, which is, in the grand scheme of things, it's not an obscene amount, but for like a notebook, no one's gonna be- For like, college students, see, that's the group that probably needs it the most. Exactly. People, they're trying to save any dollars, <laughs> yeah. any coins, scrounge, yeah. whatever they can. I even had to get my one of my sweet mates today. She ran out of meal swipes and I straight up had to bring her pizza. <laughs> it's, it's rough out here, man. It's rough. <laughs> and- yeah, it's just it's just a lot. So it kind of defeats the purpose of trying to make that intervention accessible because it's not then if you're putting that price tag on it. Mm-hmm. There's also, you know, shipping, whatever. Things yeah. tend to take forever. And yeah, it's less practical to expect people to go around carrying a notebook with them everywhere. Yep. So yeah, an app seemed like the most realistic approach. And I did my research on the topic at first through writing a research proposal for Psych 310. For those who don't know, it's this mandatory research class for psych majors. So I studied interactive journaling in particular and Mm -hmm. all of the interventions that I read about, ended up reading more about expressive writing and bibliotherapy as well through that. Mm -hmm. All of them were done on paper. Okay. And again, these interventions 
aren't being aren't showing improvement on symptomatology to the same extent as CBT or any other type of evidence-based treatments used for therapy. Yeah. But it's still better than doing nothing at all. Yeah. You know, and the only problem though is that I wasn't sure whether these effects would translate to an app or any type of computer-based journaling program. And my original prediction was that it wouldn't and that mm. there would be more benefits when writing on paper and that by switching to online, they'd be lost. Yeah, I, I know for me, when I take notes in paper, like I, I don't know if this is an old wise tale, but like I was told that taking notes in on paper helps you remember it a lot more than typing and yeah. texting. Now, I don't know like the science behind this, but it definitely kind of feels that way sometimes. Like if I write down ver on a note card versus on my phone, I'll actually remember it more. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are studies showing that whenever you're writing something by hand. Like I know in our psych classes, a lot of the time they tell us, okay, taking notes by hand is better mm -hmm. because you tend to, like when you're typing, you are you tend to type so quickly yeah. that you copy what the person, the yeah, teacher, professor. Yeah, saying. exactly, ver verbatim, like whatever they're saying. But when you're writing by hand, I know I write kind of slowly. Mm. If I don't, it looks, you know, like <laughs> I just- seen it. Yeah, it looks like ridiculous. Yeah. Oh my God, my teachers in high school hated me for that. <laughs> I, I would almost do it on purpose because then they'd be like, "What? Is, <laughs> I think you got the right answer? Yeah, honestly. So in this research, what did you end up finding? What's the conclusion? So the answer to that changes based on the person and their preferences. Mm. To reach this conclusion, I looked through blog posts, magazine articles, academic journal articles from, you know, peer-reviewed journals, <laughs> and every source that I examined noted the value of journaling in cognitive restructuring, mm. or what that means is reframing your negative beliefs of the world and yourself, and reflection. I didn't find many studies involving online journaling, so I looked at a bunch of research on online CBT interventions, cognitive behavioral therapy, like mm -hmm. I mentioned before, which is a therapeutic intervention that brings together strategies used to alter distorted cognitions and maladaptive behaviors that's pretty commonly used in the psych realm, mm -hmm. and it's incorporated into many therapy styles. And I compare these studies of online CBT intervention to those on handwritten therapeutic writing, and I saw that both were more effective in reducing anxiety symptoms than depressive symptoms. And this result I attribute to the lack of motivation that's often exhibited by people with depressive symptoms, you know, not as motivated, loss of pleasure, like all, mm -hmm. all that jam. So it's a little bit difficult to complete things. But in the realm of anxiety symptoms and intrusive thoughts, they both seem to be pretty effective. There weren't any real drawbacks of switching to online. There was this one study, for instance, completed by Stice et al. in 2007, and it compared the benefits of a brief CBT intervention, supportive expressive group therapy, expressive writing, and independent journaling on reducing depressive symptoms in people between the ages of 15 and 22. Mm. And to quote from them, they found that engaging in any sort of effort to reduce the current and future depressive symptoms has a therapeutic benefit, mm. perhaps because it fosters hope for change and increases self-efficacy. And there was this other study by Zeiss, Zeiss, Zeiss. I'm mm. gonna go with Zeiss. Go with Zeiss. Zeiss, Z-E-I-S-S, -S. sorry, mm. sorry Zeiss. Zeiss et al. <laughs> and they concluded that any treatment that provides rationale encourages clients to do the activity outside of the treatment session and attributes improvements to client's skills would be an effective treatment for depression. 
by this logic, I I would also apply this to anxiety mm. symptoms because of that overlap in the symptomatology of both disorders. I mean, yeah, and that's that's very interesting. Like it being helpful digitally as well as on paper makes it more accessible, I guess, to all people in our age group because I know there's not a minute where I'm not actively touching my phone or my computer. Exactly. Like, you know where your phone is at all times. Exactly. Yeah, so... Otherwise, you have a new form of anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, right. Whenever I see, like, on my Apple Watch, whenever it's like, your phone's not here, I'm like, my phone's not what? (laughs) And that's probably when you need it most. But uh, honestly, I feel like um, since it doesn't seem like that much of a drawback, maybe because you're not retaining information as much, it's more like expressing yourself. I was going to say that, yeah, because like when you're trying to get feelings out. You already know the stuff anyway. Yeah, you're not learning any new material. And the blog posts, so those are kind of the more research heavy articles that I read. But the blog posts and magazine articles that I also read reaffirm these findings. They emphasize the prominence of one's preference and characteristics and choosing whether they should journal online or on paper. They also provided questions a person should take into consideration. For instance, they said that the amount of time that someone has to devote to journaling could be influenced. Like, you know, college students don't have much time. We're going from place to place all the time. We have classes, we have this, we have that. It's a lot quicker to type than it is to write. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, if they just want to bring a journal with them in general, there's also privacy concerns. Like if someone's like typing stuff online, if they get hacked, yada, yada. And this, to me at least, this makes sense. In one of the psych classes I'm taking this semester, it's a psychotherapy class by, you know, the one and only Joy Bolger. Yeah. Love her. We learned that, to quote from Larry E. Butler. But- I'm really not having Bueller. a good... Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. Mueller. There are distinguishing qualities of patients within diagnostic groups that result in them being more and less responsive to different forms of treatment, meaning mm. that patient preferences and characteristics will influence which treatment types work best for them, which makes sense we're not all the same person like people have this misconception that one disorder presents the same way it presents itself in a number of different ways yeah so anyway if you're a busy college student whose textbooks are all online and you just carry on your computer and a charger with you which is pretty much most of the case yeah yeah, typing your journals might be better suited for you but if you carry a bunch of random crap with you like me and don't mind the extra weight, because, you know, I'm Aki, um, <laughs> then uh, handwritten journaling might be better. I also just like it more because I kind of connect yeah. more with whatever I'm doing. And, yeah, that was noted in some of these articles as well, that there's that connection of motor movement with your thoughts in handwritten journaling. Also, the fact that we tend to write slower than we type can, you know, help with taking the time to slow down and identify those thoughts and emotions. I know that that's the most beneficial thing for myself because I can just continue typing. Like, I will type a whole 10 (laughs) pages of things that I feel, but being able to slow down and then my hand hurts at a certain point and I'm, like, kind of forced to stop. But, yeah, it's good to know that generally the benefits of journaling aren't lost to a great degree when typing entries because it's important that we don't encourage ineffective treatments. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I bought a nice journal to actually, like, journal in, like an expensive notebook. Never used it once. Do you have it here? No, it was, I got it like last year. It was a 2019 because I was like, each year I'm going to buy one. Oh my God. Never did. But there was a time my freshman year when I dream journaled and I typed those up. I remember and that. The only reason, like I would never have done it if I didn't type it up. But gotcha. I, had, I kept a nice dream journal, which was very therapeutic and nice. Nice. How long did it last for? How long were you able to keep Months. it? Months. Really? I had dreams and nap dreams in there too. Ooh. Dream after dream. spicy stuff. But anyway, as I mentioned before, seeing an actual professional such as a psychologist, social worker, you know, all that jazz for counseling is more effective than therapeutic writing on its own. 
But when you use them together, um, it could help you improve upon your coping mechanisms and improve treatment outcomes, get there quicker, and so on and so forth. Hmm. Yeah, and that's pretty much all the information I have for you today. I hope you learned something new, Harry. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. Now I'm kind of a little bit excited to journal, maybe. Yeah. Maybe some entries, you know, maybe. Yeah. Who's to say? Maybe Who's pick up say? the dream journal again. I don't know. No, this was really interesting, and I'll definitely be telling, you know, my residents who are stressed a little yeah. bit about some of this. And, you know, I, th- I think it's one step that people can take to, you know, be aware. And... Yeah, exactly, and it could kind of push people who are nervous about starting therapy to at least start doing something that is good for them you know maybe like pave the way for entering therapy i like it yeah me too so if anyone's listening who is struggling with mental health issues and specifically if you attend stony brook university please contact caps for more resources it's so easy to make an initial consultation for those who don't know caps counseling and psychological services on campus you just have to call their phone number, which is 631-632-6720. I didn't even have to look at anything for that because I called them to reschedule I'm going to say the radio number. It's Radiothon. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, I, I use their therapy and psychiatry uh, resources, and it's been the best decision I've ever mm-hmm. made to start that. So if you don't attend Stony Brook and you need help finding mental health resources, feel free to contact us. Send us a message a shout scream out loud something i'd be more than happy to and i know harry would be more than happy to as well because this stuff is stressful it's a lot it's a lot but you know what with time progressing i feel like mental health resources will open up a little bit more and if you're experiencing a mental health uh, or other emergency, though, please call 911. Please, please. Or 3333 on campus. So Is it 3333? 631-632-3333. Get the help you need. Like, a lot of people think that their issues are not major enough, you know? Oh, oh I don't want to take fine. a seat away from somebody else. No. No, you're not. You're just hurting yourself. Especially yeah. the best time, I feel like, to schedule the initial therapy sessions is when you're feeling fine. Yeah. Because when you feel like crap, you don't want to do anything. It's That's... proactive, not reactive. That's what we want here. Wow. Put that on a shirt. We're going to end that up. Yeah, we're going to end with that. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please make sure to catch us every Friday mm. on WSB Stony Brook 90.1 FM, 12 p.m. Eastern time for some regularly scheduled Mixed Nights content. And yeah, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye. Transition music. Transition music. We just keep that there. (laughs) (laughs) Mixed.